This morning's reading is taken from Judges 6, chapter 6, verse 1 to 16. It can be found on page 247 in the Church Bibles. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian was Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. He said, This is what the Lord of God, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Israel, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in, the, in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The, Lord, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to jo, Joash the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the windpress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did the Lord not bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us in the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, good morning, church. Thank you, Justin, for reading that. And thank you to all the other pathfinders and leaders who've been involved and are involved in the service today. Can I encourage you to keep your Bibles open there? Justin did read 16 verses, but we will be looking at the whole chapter today. If you have closed your Bibles, it's on page 247. Let's just pray before we start. Father, I do thank you that your word is truth. We thank you as we look back at the book of Judges, we can see your hand in all things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we were reminded last week... Uh, as we look at the book of Judges, or I was reminded, actually at our staff meeting, that we're looking at different movies through the book of Judges. And maybe not movies, but episodes of one big movie. And each week as we, we look and we find who the, the hero is, we actually realize it's not the hero we expect it to be. We expect the hero to be the judge of each story, but they are not quite like that. The judges are ordinary people. Uh, they're not fancy or they're not amazing. They do mistakes. 
They are just people like you and me. And so as we look at this week, as we look at Gideon, we're going to look at three calls from God, three proofs of those calls, and three responses to those calls. So let me start with saying, who do you think is the hero in today's story? Who could that hero be? Think a little bit about that. We'll find out later. The first 10 verses of this chapter show that Israel has once again fallen into the cycle that Bart spoke about it before. You remember the slide? Uh, I didn't really like it, but I used it because Bart used it. I don't like the mixing of fonts. But Bart used it, so I'll keep using it so you can remember it. <laughs> um, as you look at the slide, we see that God raises up a prophet and a deliverer each time. Uh, last week we saw that the prophets and deliverer were Deborah and Barak. Uh, and chapter 5 ends after them with the land having peace for 40 years. And then once again, the beginning of this chapter starts off in verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the land of the Midianites. The cycle continues, and the people, in turn, cry out to God in verse 7. Do they cry out in repentance? No. Do they ask for forgiveness for their sins? No. Do they even promise to serve God better, as some of us will do when we're asking God for something? No. They cry out because of Midian. They cry out because for seven years the Midianites have been coming into their, their land, stealing their crops, wrecking their, their grounds, and making them camp in caves in the mountain. The mountain's caves were cold, and they were tired of their food being stolen. The people wanted God to raise up a deliverer, but they didn't want to judge. And this is what happens time and time again. In Israel, we see it with, with Moses. They wanted someone to bring them out of Egypt, but not to bring the law. We see it in the time of Jesus, where we wanted, the people wanted to be freedom from Rome, but not to receive the new covenant. The people want salvation, but they don't want repentance. And so an unnamed prophet, we don't know who he is, comes and delivers God's message. And God's message says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out and gave, them, gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods, the Amorites, in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The prophet doesn't say anything about repenting or encouraging them to be righteous. He just stops there. And that's the last we hear of the, this, this prophet. He came and gave this message to all of Israel and then is quiet. We now move to Gideon, who is the deliverer that they're waiting for. And God shows us his expectations by what happens with Gideon. And so we'll start off by seeing the first call of our passage, the call to Gideon. And so in these verses, we're introduced to a mighty warrior, the soon-to-be deliverer of Israel. And it would be easy for us to think that the angel of the Lord, as we see him, would be that mighty warrior. Because when we're introduced to Gideon, he's actually afraid. He's hiding away, 
doing a task that actually requires open air and space. He's separating the wheat from the chaff. But instead of doing it in open air, he's doing it in a cramped little wine press where the work wouldn't have done properly. There was no wind to blow away the chaff. And so it required more effort. And so this angel of the Lord comes and addresses him. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. God calls Gideon the mighty warrior. But of course, Gideon uh, didn't know that this was God speaking. Uh, he sees, we see this with the title that he gives the angel of the Lord. He, he calls him my Lord, which in your English Bibles you'll see is a small L. Um, in English we might say, sir, someone we didn't know, but someone important. And so he, he answers, Gideon answers, as if he's speaking for all of Israel. He says, pardon me, my Lord, but if, the, if, God, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The messenger from God knows that Gideon didn't hear him correctly. And so he repeats his calls in a different way. And in doing so, he instructs Gideon how to answer his own question. Because Gideon is that answer. Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Interesting. The angel says, am I not sending you? We'll get there. Suddenly Gideon understands and he was being asked of him. And so he responds as so many people in the Bible do. He says, pardon me, my Lord. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. God gives the same answer to him that he gave to Moses. The same answer that he gave to Joshua. The same answer that he gives to the disciples and he gives to each one of us. He says, I will be with you. We might think of ourselves as weak. We might think of ourselves as, as not, not able to do what, what God wants us to do. But God will be with us. And he says to Joshua, uh, to uh, Gideon, I will be with you. And he continues that call a little bit closer, specifically to Gideon. You will strike down all the Midians, Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon thinks himself as a nobody. Although, as we'll hear as we continue the story, he comes from a family with a fair amount of wealth. They, they own their own place of worship. They have at least 10 servants and some more. They have more than one bull. Uh, his, his family has the ability to stop the whole town of people but we'll come to all of that as we continue. Gideon, although he has this, sees himself as a nobody, as not able to do anything. But God has called him a mighty warrior. So this is now Gideon's moment of truth. Will he accept what God's called him? Will he believe what the stranger has said? Will he become this great warrior? I think he does what many of us would do. He says to the stranger, I'm going to test you. I don't really know if you are who you say you are. So Gideon replied, if now I find favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it really is you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, 
I will wait until you return. We know that Gideon takes this seriously because this is a time when there's not a lot of food around. Um, times are scarce. The Midianites have been wrecking havage, wrecking uh, things. And so he kills a goat. He makes a roast with that goat. He makes some beautiful gravy to go with it. He makes some beautiful flatbread to eat with the meat. It sounds like a wonderful meal. And uh, he brings us all to the stranger. And the stranger doesn't touch it. He just says to, to Gideon, put the meat there on the rock. And he does that. Put the gravy over the meat. He does that. Put the bread with it. He does that. The angel takes the tip of his staff, puts it onto the rock, and the rock catches fire. No source of fuel. Just burns up and all of the food gets burnt up. Gideon knows who he's talking to. The fire has proven that the offering has been accepted. And the angel of the Lord disappears from sight. Doesn't walk away, just disappears. Gideon is scared. More scared than before. He knows that he's just been speaking to God and he fears that he will die even though the angel is gone. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. And then as I said, the angel is gone, but God continues to speak to him. So no angel anymore, but he starts to hear God's voice. And the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Gideon now has the proof he needs, and immediately he builds an altar to God and calls it the Lord is peace. Because he has spoken to God, and he's received the peace that God would not destroy him now he knows that this angel was speaking the truth. And now he's ready to receive his responsibility. But before that, God begins with repentance. Repentance means turning away from the things that we've done wrong. Gideon lives with his father, Joash. And Joash owns an altar to Baal and an Asherah pole. Both of these were gods of the Amorites, which the prophet had spoken about in verse 10. So Gideon's first instruction was to repent for himself, for his family, and for his town. And, the, and that repentance took place by destroying these false places of worship and using the wood to create a burnt offering of a valuable bull from the father's own herd. So we see he now comes to the place where he's got the call and he has to respond to that call. Gideon responds, not quite in a self-confident way we expect him to. He knows this is God has spoken to him, but he only does this in the middle of the night when he hopes nobody will know. He goes out and he finds his servants and he does what he's told. The most important part, though, is he is obedient. He follows God's instructions. He does what he tells him, and this leads to action and change. So let's continue reading from verse 28 to 32. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar, demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. When they carefully, when they asked each other who did this, and when they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, the son of Josh, Joash did it. The people of the, of the town demanded of Joash, 
Bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jeroboam that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. What Gideon does at night is not hidden in the day. Whatever happens, the town want to know. And they go to Joash, he's the patriarch of the family, demanding the death of his son, Gideon. And something happens that shows that God is in control, not Gideon. Joash, the man whose bull was taken, the man whose altars have been torn down, the man who is facing this hostile town of people, gives a judgment that sounds like God speaking. He says, if Baal is God, then let Baal kill Gideon. What is yours standing up for God for? If any person here tries to act on Baal's behalf, they will be dead by morning. Quite an influential person if he can challenge the whole town and say that. And so whether standing for his son or now standing for God, Joash gives Gideon safety. And he gives him a new name, and the town gives him this new name. And it becomes a battle name. And as you read it on the chapters as continue, we will find this name come up over and over again. Jerob Baal, another name for Gideon. And this becomes the fact because Gideon is fighting against Baal by fighting the Midianites. What a change has taken place in these verses. Joash seems to have repented and come stand forward for God. Um, the, the prophets before had been addressing the whole of Israel in those first 10 verses. And now God is speaking to a small town, to a small clan, God using who he wants. An interesting side note to this passage is that many commentators believe that the angel of the Lord was actually Christ before he came down as Jesus. And so that is why Gideon addresses him as Lord with a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This was Jesus giving him a call. And that's why he accepts the worship and the offering. And if this is the case, we recognize that Jesus is there with him, encouraging him, calling him to be the right person. Jesus chose him to be in his sin to serve God. And he responded by being repentant and obedient to God. Jesus called him, he repented, and became obedient. Sound familiar? The passage continues with now Gideon's responsibilities growing. From verse 33 it says, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. He blew the trumpet, summoning the Amorites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali. And so they too went up to meet him. This is the call to the northern tribes. Uh, Gideon is now calling the second call from this passage. And we see the annual encampment happen. These foreigners are coming in and 
They're coming like locusts. They're coming to destroy everything. And it's time for Gideon to become the mighty warrior that God called him to be. But actually what we see is that the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he blows a trumpet and sends messengers. We already know that Gideon sees himself the least of all. But when God's anointing is on him, he is ready to call others to battle. And he calls the northern tribes around him. It's interesting, if you look at the next chapter, and I'm not going to jump into that too much, but the number of people that respond is 32,000 men. Gideon, a man who thought of himself as nothing, who, who had to find his 10 servants to come and help him with the first task that he was given, had no confidence. Suddenly, 32,000 people are following him. What has changed? Um, maybe we don't know. We don't read anything in the passage, specifically what happened then. Uh, we don't know how much time has passed since that had took place. But something has happened that the neighboring tribes and the northern tribes know that God is with Gideon. And so when he calls them, they respond. They believe that God is with them to win this battle. And there is one person, though, who is not sure. That one person who is not sure is Gideon. And so he again seeks proof that what he's doing is the right thing to do. And so we read from verse 36 to verse 40, something that has been misused, I think, so many times. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose the next day, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with this fleece. This time make the fleece dry and all the ground covered in dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Gideon again seems like the doubting person. Everybody else is ready to march into battle, but Gideon again asks God to prove his calling. And laying down this fleece, as I said earlier, is possibly one of the most misused tests of God's will in the church. Have you ever heard it seen this? Maybe someone says, I, I, I think God wants me to get this job that I'm applying for, but I'm not sure, so I'm going to lay down a fleece uh, and if the guy phones me at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, then I know this is the job for me. Anytime before 10 o'clock, then I know this is where God wants me to be. Have you heard that before? Or maybe someone says, you know, I really want to marry this person, um, but I don't know what God's will is for my life, and so I'm going to lay down a fleece for God. And if that person remembers that it's my mother's birthday tomorrow, then I'll know that person is the one. I'll marry them. We'll, next, we'll take the next steps. Do you think, have you heard something like that before? This fleece issue? That's not quite how the Bible has described the fleece. What the Bible has said is it's a confirmation of a call that God already gave. So it wasn't to test God to see if this is the right thing or not the right thing. It's actually saying, I've told you this, and this is a proof of it. And secondly, it's supernatural in, in, in nature. Impossible to occur without God's help. So in the same two example it would be, uh, if you told me, if this is the right job, and I know you've told me this is the right job, but if you want to prove it to me, 
Can my garden, all the flowers be wet tomorrow and all the grass be dry? Has anyone ever said something like that to God before? <laughs> nope. Maybe it's a, if this person, you've told me I'm supposed to marry this person, and I'm pretty sure it is, but I want you to confirm it. Uh, can you make this lightning hit this X that I'm drawing in the sand? Anybody tested God like that? No. Um, I think the fleece in this passage was God's special allowance to get in. And I think, because there's some things we don't know, it may have had another situation. It may have had another cause. Maybe Gideon said this and people heard him and saw the result. And that is why 32,000 people came. We don't know the order exactly why things happened, but we know that Gideon asked for a sign, and in the next chapter, 32,000 men come. Maybe people had heard that God had proven himself to be with Gideon. And this leads us to the response of that call. The response of this call is not found in this chapter. And so I'm not going to preach on it. <laughs> Come back next week and the week after that. There is a response, and it will be taught by both Bart and John. But then this leaves us with questions, what we must ask. What has all of this chapter got to do with me? What has it got to do with us as a church? Actually, it has everything to do with us. Every single one of us have the same call, proof, and response needed in these days. The call is to each single one of us. Like Gideon, Jesus comes to each one of us. But instead of calling us mighty warriors, he calls us sons of God and heirs with him. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. How does this happen? Jesus was sent to earth as a man with the purpose of redeeming us and adopting us. He did this by laying down his life as a man without fault perfect sacrifice without doing anything wrong and was put to death for it. After three days, he rose again. He died on behalf of our faults and our wrongs so that we can become God's children. If we receive that call, we have to have a proof of that call. And that proof comes from God. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set a seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God himself sets a seal of ownership on us, placing his Holy Spirit within us, allowing us to love and to learn from his word, allowing us to forgive and to be forgiven, allowing us to love God and love our neighbors. And if we have that call and that proof, we come to the response. We respond by showing this to people around us. Uh, we respond through baptism, through confirmation of our baptisms, through taking communion at church. 
We respond by living our lives differently. We live by the words of the Bible. We choose to gather together as a church. We choose to place God and people above the things of the world. Like Gideon, we too become different people. Gideon changed from someone hiding away to someone leading an army. And we too change from people who place ourselves first in everything to people who place God first and other people second. Some people respond in different ways. In Gideon's, in Gideon's case, we see people respond to the, recognize the change in his life and, and they followed him and they sent an army. In our case, some people will reject, reject our, our change. They will not like what we become. Often you see this in family and close friends. Others will see what happens in your life and they will glorify your Father in heaven because of the things you do. They will see God as something changing you and will come to follow him. As I started today's sermon, I asked you, who is the hero in today's story? And again, I want to reiterate, as in each of these episodes that we see, the hero is always God. God calls Gideon. God gives proof to Gideon about that call. And then God accepts the repentance that Gideon offers. God calls the northern tribes through Gideon. God gives proof to Gideon about that call of the northern tribes. And as you'll see next week, God works in the response of the battle. And God has and is calling each one of us to become his children. God gives you the proof about that call. And God will accept our repentance to a new life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We're thankful that you are here in our midst. We thank you as we read these narratives from the Old Testament of what you did. We can see that these things took place so we can learn who you are, that you are a God of today, that you call us even today, that our response to you should be repentance, and you change our lives for the better because of it. Help us to live for you every moment, every day. In Jesus' name, amen.